Today's episode is brought to you by Chiropractic Mastery. Wouldn't it be great if your spinal problems and misalignments could correct themselves? And if you didn't need the same thing done to you every time you visit the office, best of all, what if your chiropractor could check and tell when your body didn't need any help that day at all? MC2 chiropractors correct nervous system imbalances directly so the body is best able to correct the spinal misalignment on its own. This is done without twisting, popping, cracking, or causing pain. It's so honoring to the body that most people experience a tremendous amount of improvement very quickly, often without the soreness and stiffness that may follow a more traditional chiropractic adjustment. Your chiropractor can find out more by visiting chiropracticmastery.com and checking the seminars tab. And if you're looking for a chiropractor that will custom build the most painless yet effective chiropractic adjustment for you on every visit to the office, go to chiropracticmastery.com and click on the referrals tab. to the KiddoCast for Chiropractic Families, the world's first and only podcast committed to normalizing complementary and alternative care, particularly chiropractic care for children by sharing the experiences of the doctors in the trenches. In our time together, we will talk with pillars in the alternative healthcare world to give you the tools you'll need to make positive change in the health of your children today. Simply put, we're here to change the trajectory of modern healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Bronstein. I'm a pediatric and family chiropractor certified by the Academy Council of Chiropractic Pediatrics and director of the Beacon Clinic of Chiropractic in beautiful Grover Beach, California. Now today, guys, we have a very, very special, uh, special uh, episode. Today, we're going to be joined by my friend, Dr. Stanton Holm, who uh, has a podcast as well, and I recommend everybody download it right now. It's called the Future Generations Podcast, where Stan interviews some of the um, most influential chiropractors, healers, um, and uh, policymakers uh, in the world with regards to healthcare, specifically alternative healthcare. And um, I, I think, you know, it's really, really important to note that Stan and I have been close for. Mm, gosh, almost 15 years. Um, I've relied on him. Um, I've depended on him. Um, I've bounced ideas off him. Um, he and I are, we regularly converse about uh, very heady topics, philosophy, science, uh, art of chiropractic. And so um, we decided that we were going to uh, develop this podcast episode in cooperation with each other. Stan's releasing this episode in the Future Generations podcast, and I'm releasing it here at the KiddoCast. And uh, it's, uh, gosh, just an amazing, amazing episode. Stan does some interviewing of me. We talk about some um, really, really interesting topics in chiropractic and healthcare. Um, I, I really don't have much more to say about it, but just to say that this is one of my favorite episodes that I've ever recorded. Stan has been a regular on the KiddoCast since its inception, and this uh, episode is um, one of the best. So really uh, welcome Stan into the podcast and enjoy everything that he has to say. Without any further ado, here's Stan Holm. We are live. Hey, everybody. Stan Bronstein here, and I'm joined by my good brother-in-arms, Dr. Stanton Hom of the Future Gen in San Diego and the Future Gen podcast. We're going to collaborate today uh, because Stan's podcast is awesome. And uh, I really wanted to um, 
you know, talk about health and healing uh, with a guy who, you know, if you guys are veterans of the podcast, then you absolutely know this guy. Um, he's been on every single season up until this point, but we have a lot of important stuff to talk about. And I figured it would be beneficial for us to collaborate and share over both of our podcasts so we could reach a broader audience. So um, we're going to do this a little bit differently than we normally do. Stan uh, is going to be interviewing me for this podcast and, uh, we're going to see what comes up. So, um, yeah, without any further ado, Dr. Stan, take it away. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Stanson Hom. I'm the host of the Future Generations podcast, and I am so excited to get to interview one of my favorite humans on the planet, uh, one of my favorite chiropractors on the planet for sure, and somebody that I have known for almost 13 and a half years. I remember meeting him. Uh, at our student orientation. I won't tell you how he was dressed at the moment. However, uh, he is literally, in my opinion, one of the most important people in chiropractic today with, with tonal pediatrics and all the work that he's doing. Um, Dan, I would love for our audience and maybe even your audience to uh, get to know you both personally and professionally. Please tell us. Yeah, man. Um... Great. So I am a pediatric and family chiropractor. I've been in practice since 2011. I started the Beacon Clinic um, shortly after that in 2012. And we've been serving kids and families of all shapes and sizes uh, since then, um, growing steadily and putting a, a dent in a lot of the health issues that we see in the local community. Um, you know, I, I'm a principal chiropractor, just like Stan, which means I focus on the nervous system first. And uh, we find that when we reliably remove interference to the function of that system, our community, our families, our kids are much healthier. Yeah. It's pretty dramatic. You know, you said put a dent in a lot of these trends. And I think we've said in many uh, previous conversations, changing the trajectory, you know, of where our health system is going and where outcomes are going. I like how you borrow that for your podcast, Dan. <laughs> Huh? I like how you borrow that for your podcast. Well, no, it's something that we've, I mean, we've had, I don't know how many, <laughs> I don't know how many conversations. I think if there was like a, a, a data point on how many conversations I've had with a lot of people, um, you are easily at the top of the list and people that I've, you know, one learned from two grown with throughout this entire process. It's hard to say when you say like, yeah, we've been in practice a long time, you know, at this stage, I think five, six years in, you realize you're not a young kid anymore. And then you get to our stage and you're like starting to see very consistently a lot of those different types of miracles. And that's something that I wanted to, to focus on a lot today, because I don't think there's anybody that I know consistently in the profession that actually sees uh, the, the, chron the chronic levels of cases and the most challenging and complex cases that you do. Um, <clears throat> I'd love you to love for you to share a little bit more about that, at least what you see, and we can get more into it as we go along, but I'd like that to be a theme for what we, what we talk about in terms of complexity and challenging cases. Cool. Yeah. You know, I just got off the blower with Andrew Cameron and he recorded a podcast episode with me, uh, just talking about cases. You know, we were talking about stuff that he sees and his practice is, is amazing. I mean, cause all he sees is kids. He, he sends and refers all of his adults to a provider across the street because he's just chock full of sensory perfect storm kids. Um, so yeah, it was a good primer for our, our conversation today. Um, so Dan, one of the things that I do with all of my uh, guests is I have, cause, cause everywhere in the world, like there's always cause and effect. That's something that is core 
to our philosophy in chiropractic. That's just a, a nature, or I'm sorry, a natural law. Um, I'm, I would love you to hear from you, like, was there any major influence? Was there major, any major inspiration in your life that basically, you know, catalyzed who you've become today? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, you know my story. Um, I, I started out in public health after I graduated. I spent about eight months at WHO, World Health Organization in Geneva. And um, I, I had the opportunity to help write policy, contribute to writing policy at the highest level. Um, but I, I, have to, I have to admit, and Stan knows the story well, that I did not feel um, fulfilled you know, in that role. Uh, writing policy uh, is important. Um, it is something that we need. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of the doctors that I knew at WHO were fairly empty vessels, you know, because they had spent so much time in a cubicle and not enough time taking care of people that that sort of um, clinical care got lost in translation. And so I came back uh, in 2011 and I just kind of lost my way for a little bit. Um, you know, and it wasn't because I didn't love taking care of people. It's not because I didn't love chiropractic. It's just, I didn't know what it all meant, you know, cause there's a big learning curve between chiropractic college and in yeah. clinical practice. So it wasn't until uh, June of 2011 when I started hanging out with Steve Tullius, where I started realizing that um, this chiropractic thing works um, and it doesn't just work a little bit. It works exceptionally well. And when you start seeing kids improve, that formerly were not getting results in um, pediatricians' offices or specialist offices is just you can't unlearn or unsee that. And so I spent a good year, good long year with Steve, learning the ropes, um, you know, applying the clinical know-how, um, and then that just kind of set the stage. You know, it's um, you know, it's obviously there, there's lifelong learning involved when you're taking care of kids. The past ten years has been a whirlwind of education. Um, but that's where it started. You know, um, I think it's important for our parents who are listening to understand that, you know, chiropractic care is not obvious. I mean, for us, it's obvious. We take it for granted, but if it was obvious, everybody would have their kiddo under the care of a chiropractor. And so, um, even chiropractors have a hard time reconciling with a lot of the very complex philosophical tenets. Um, and once you start seeing it every day and you start applying it every day, it becomes a lot more obvious and relevant. So that's, that's kind of where I, where I, I came from. I think, you know, being somebody who's watched you throughout the years evolve as a human being, like I, I, I look at your time at the WHO and one, I'm so grateful that I got to go out there too. You know, we both got to kind of sit in the UN building and those little earpieces on, the, on your ear, hearing all the different languages and translation. And, and, and it's crazy because they know, like they know that chronic, illness, comorbidities, all these, you know, kind of catchwords today, whether it's a developed country or a developing country, chronic illness is, is the issue, is the main issue. And it's interesting sitting there and it's mildly alarming sitting there that really the best they have is drug delivery, quality of drugs, you know, talking about, you know, these, these generic versus whatever name brand. And, and there's rarely ever it, well, no, I would say that I was in the sessions where they talked about um, health promotion, sitting there with Ron Kirk. And when there's thousands of people at the WHA and there's maybe 20 people in the health promotion room, it's, it's alarming, right? Because they're not interested in actually one, any sort of 
healing or outside of any sort of therapeutic, you know, any sort of drug therapy, right? Yeah, we, I mean, we, talk, we call that essential medicines. That was one of like the biggest sticking points for the development goals, uh, Millennium Development Goals of the WHO back in, you know, 2010, 2009 when we were there. Um, and you're right. I mean, the biggest departments at WHO are infectious diseases. It's uh, UNAIDS, um, it's malaria, it's tuberculosis. Um, and, you know, let's, uh, suffice it to say, like all of those things are huge problems globally. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that WHO plays a role there, but when you talk about prevention, um, you're absolutely right. Like there's no budget at all for prevention. Right. And even when we were talking about musculoskeletal conditions, right, which is a huge component of chiropractic. I mean, it's not a large component of what we do in our office, but a lot of chiropractors are fixing things like neck and back pain. Um, it's like the smallest, most underpaid department in the entire agency. I mean, we're talking billions of dollars that goes into this agency. I mean, I think our budget was in like maybe just the low seven figures for the department I was in. I mean, like it just, it's not a huge, it's not a, they don't put a huge emphasis on it. And yeah. um, so that's kind of where we, we are, where we are. Well, you know, like knowing where you were and, and, and even, even that those two binders you came home with, you know, where you're talking about like the white paper that you, or whatever you want to call it. I can't remember what you have. Gray paper. Paper or gray paper, where it talked about the safety in chiropractic. I thought that was one of the more foundational and critical pieces because there's, there's a lot of families that don't know that chiropractic is exceptionally safe, you know, for adults. And then when you look at pregnancy and kids and whole family care, like we do, like the safety is just beyond, like it's not even, it's not even an issue in terms of adverse reactions and things like that. That is clear in the research today. I love that you came back from there and, you know, you had this level of certainty, not only just in the safety, because a lot of times in school, we're not taught, like we're taught generally to fear care. We're generally taught that chiropractic is going to cause strokes and all these different terrible things. And you should never just somebody's neck or something and it's like wow like when you actually came back with those that data and then you met steve like you basically taken that mind that you have the level of intellect and the level of understanding that you have for not only what we do as a profession but also how you can translate that into clinical care today in a vitalistic um wellness-based preventative type model or also self-healing model in, in terms of reversing chronic problems, I'm, I'm so grateful at how your trajectory of things went because you went yep. through a typical rigor, but then you came out of it on the side that actually has so many solutions for what our kids are suffering from today. Yeah, I appreciate that, Stan. I mean, I think we, we forget as physicians, as doctors, as healers, that the Hippocratic Oath remains the most important thing, you know, in our day-to-day -day practice, and that is first do no harm. You know, I, um, I think once you recognize the fact that chiropractic is absurdly safe, right? It's absurdly safe for adults, but it's even more safe for kids, right? Because the data is, is totally clear there. I mean, adverse events are almost, you know, null at this point. They're not statistically significant. Um, it gives us a lot more leeway to be able to care for our people in the model that we were, were brought up on. You know, I mean, if a kiddo comes in and we can talk about birth trauma all you want, me and Andrew were talking about this earlier in our, in our episode, birth trauma, you know, is, is probably the biggest, you know, um, contributor to subluxation. Um, 
you know, something like 99 out of 100 children in the hospital are being born with an atlas subluxation. We know that chiropractic care is safe. It opens a lot of doors for us to be able to, to help these kids, you know, I mean, if chiropractic was killing people, then we'd have a lot of problems, but that just isn't the case. And all the fear mongering that goes into, you know, this, this idea that chiropractic care is somehow unsafe, especially in light of all the other things in traditional medicine, Western medicine that are unsafe, like medication, vaccines, you name it. I mean, chiropractic care is a clear alternative, you know? Right. And, and, and it's one of those things for me, like the, the, the informed consent aspect, safety trumps effectiveness and efficacy all day, especially like, you know, in a lot of those different conversations. And that's the principle of our, of our, of our podcast in particular, and that if something isn't safe, like what I love about our profession is we actually do a lot of the rigor to actually understand whether or not we actually are, you know, one, because we always have the magnifying glass you know, on top of us, but then at the same time, it's just the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do to understand that something is not going to harm somebody. And then you can cross that second bridge and understand the depths of how effective it actually can be. Right. Having the nervous system be so central and core is everything, you know, like people ask me all the time, like one of the, I'm, I'm one of Steve's clients and Steve Tullius taught me at the end of every talk, he actually has a slide that goes through all the side effects of chiropractic care. And you read through it, it's like endocrine function, immune function, it's coordination, it's all these things that are holistically based and as a result of an amazingly healthy nervous system, you know? Yeah. Um, tell me, Dan, I am, I know void always leads to value like the challenges in the world always fire off of our, our our purpose and i i don't know too many people that have a greater purpose that i see fueling their life today but i'm curious what is um what is one of the biggest challenges that you see that that our, our world faces today shoot i mean I, you and I have talked about this ad nauseum. We've talked about it in both episodes of the podcast prior, and that is uh, chronicity at birth. I mean, um, this concept is something that has resonated with me, um, you know, for years. And, you know, it's, it, it translates in all the communication that I give back to my parents, you know, um, going back to our time with Michelle in Paris, you know, and talking about how we're genetically selecting away from vaginal birth and birth trauma is so ubiquitous. Like, I mean, our children are being born with chronic disease, Yeah, right? It is the number one contributor to pretty much everything that we see in this office, whether it's constipation, colic, acid reflux, ear infections, asthma, or something that's a little bit more complicated like sensory processing disorder or autism spectrum or ADHD or whatever. Um, it starts with chronic disease and chronic illness. So parents always, you know, ask me, you know, why, why do you think this is chronic? My pediatrician has said that everything is totally normal. My obstetrician said the birth went fine. Well, it's because we've redefined what normal is, right? Just because something is common doesn't make it okay. And so now, you know, if we get a mom that goes into the hospital for a birth, there's a one in three chance that she's going to have a C-section, um, which, which is insane because even when I was at WHO, we were working with the Millennium Development Goals with the midwifery group. They recommended a C-section rate of 11 to 12% mm -hmm. in any developed country that has access to sterile instruments. Um, and even when midwives are on the ground, you know, C-section rates are obviously lower. But in the United States, we somehow figured out how to buck that trend. 
So we have to start asking ourselves what is actually normal as opposed to what is common, what is acceptable. Um, and we got to make aggressive changes in that trajectory to be able to, you know, sort of re revisit uh, this idea that, uh, that health is innate, that health is, that comes from within, you know, um, you know, the birthing culture, and we could talk about this, you know, a, a ton, Stan, cause I know you're entrenched in the birthing culture in San Diego, but the birthing culture is so oppressive. It's so patriarchal. It's so violent um, that it's almost unrecognizable to the birthing culture that Michelle you know, documented for us back in the fifties and sixties when he first became an OB. Um, and that's a problem. It's a huge problem. I mean, and then you take into account, you know, folks who are of color, um, who are Hispanic, um, who are indigenous, like they have much higher rates of obstetric violence. And, um, I mean, that just, it further sort of elucidates or illuminates this idea that, um, modern birthing is violent by nature. Um, and so for us to assume that babies are not born with a certain degree of birth trauma is just completely ignoring all the evidence to the contrary. Um, the only question then becomes, how do we fix it? You know, um, there aren't a lot of tools in Western medicine to fix things like birth trauma. You know, typically what will happen is a pediatrician will have to wait for there to be a developmental delay. Um, and when that occurs, what do you do? You do the trifecta. You send them to PTOT, a speech therapy, right? If there's a tongue tie that's obvious, maybe if you're lucky, you'll have the tongue tie revise. But there's no functional care, right? And it's nature. Chiropractic care is functional care, right? It's about reversing the effects of those chronic diseases and illnesses and processes so that our kids can be their best. This is why, consequently, autistic children or children on the autism spectrum do so well under chiropractic care. This is why children with sensory processing issues do so well under chiropractic care. It's about revitalizing the nervous system, removing stumbling blocks. And as we, we talked about in chiropractic neurology, it's about removing game or fuzz or white noise in the nervous system to allow normal communication. And then it's just the chiropractor's job to back off and watch and observe, you know. And you brought up, um, you, said, you said Michelle a couple times, and for our listeners, that's, that's the famous French OB, Michel Odant, who is... We, we got to sit and learn from him for a good several hours in Paris a couple of years ago. And it's, it's a dying art. I just interviewed um, Dr. Stu Fishbein and like hearing people like Stu, hearing people like Michelle, hearing people like Ina Mae Gaskin, and even a lot of the research that she shows where she goes around and actually talks to OBs in different countries that have different models of uh, their, their obstetrics where they actually model more of the midwifery model of care. And they have C-section rates or even transfer rates of less than 2%. Mm. And so if you even look at like the, the, the rates of what's like, if we're gonna call normal normal, we're gonna call normal like that less than 2%, right? And mm. so if 98 plus percent are actually supposed to be born in a peaceful and normal environment, and that's you know completely the contrary, who then actually is postured to actually identify that stuff upstream, right? Upstream versus the downstream is when they, when these kids are developed or are, are developmentally delayed or they have different challenges, that process has been going on for so long already. And so I, I love that you mentioned that. That's really, that's really amazing because oftentimes it's us, right? Like I just didn't, I did a report for a four-year-old and he had torticollis and plagiocephaly, and they did recommend PT at the time, right? And they, they said he graduated out of it. He was, he, was completely, um, he was completely resolved, you know? He didn't need any more care. 
and I do is I, I don't normally x-ray four-year-olds and, and a lot of times four-year-olds won't tolerate it. He did. And he's got a seven degree laterality mm. from T1 to C4. Mm. Mm. And you're like, no one is going to do that. No one's going to even try to look at that. And maybe even worse, they would look down upon me for shooting an x-ray for a four-year-old. Yeah. But this kid has so many challenges right now and who's actually there to catch him? Yeah. He's fallen, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I'm grateful for what Andrew, you know, told me when we were on the cast together. It's basically that, um, you know, our chiropractor's job is not necessarily to tell patients to stay away from physical therapy, OT and speech therapy. No but that being said, there's something about clearing all the neurological garbage out of the system so that the child can succeed at PT, OT and speech therapy. Um, and so in both of our offices, I mean, we were in total agreement with each other, you know, it, it really what it's about is chiropractic first, get chiropractic right first, clear out all the garbage, clear out all the plumbing, and then send them back to PTOT, speech therapy, brain boost, whatever, and watch, you know, everything improve exponentially. So when we look at things like in our office, we look at thermal scans, we look at surface CMG, we look at heart rate variability, what we're trying to identify are, are things that are what we call preclinical. They're, they're, they're things that are actually measuring what I like to say is the cause of a lot of these different issues. I'm grateful that medicine is so, you know, they're, they're so life-saving because they can focus and get hyper-objective and get super metric-based on the effects of things, especially if they get, you know, if, if it's a life-saved, we should absolutely honor them for that perspective. But who's going to identify those different challenges? And I often tell my parents in my practice, like, here are your stands. And I know a lot of people don't like the colors, and I, I do in some respects because if colors represent what you're saying, that gain or that fuzz or that disturbance or interference in the nervous system, how effective can PT, OT, speech be at providing sustainable, what we would call neuroplastic change that actually leads to these kids getting healed, you know? Yeah, that's the key. I think, um, you know, you brought up scanning and I think scanning is becoming more and more important with each year that I get into practice. Um, when I first got into private practice, because you and I had trained so uh, in depth with, with Ted Carrick and, and all of his acolytes, you know, I was of the opinion that, you know, we, we needed to really do a lot of like, I mean, I hate to say it, but highfalutin, you know, neurological testing. And the fact is with a lot of patients that's necessary, especially mm -hmm. patients with traumatic brain injury, but in the bulk of the patients that we see, we want to know what's happening functionally in real time with the neuraxis. And that's what scanning does. You know, it tells us what's actually happening under the surface at this particular moment. And when you overlay that with things like x-ray to look at structure, it gives us a full picture um, as to what is actually happening. I mean, the more that I do this, the more of an emphasis I put on heart rate variability because it shows us what's going on autonomically with our patients and shoot in the age of COVID, like, all of my patients have depressed HRVs right now. Even my best patients, I'm putting them back on corrective care schedules because they can't hold adjustments for a day. And they're so stressed out. They don't know when their next paycheck is coming. They can't get unemployment. Their businesses are folding. It's just, it's absolutely insane. But it also shines a light on why chiropractic is so stinking important right now. Mm -hmm. Is that it's at its core, 
it's about adaptability. You know, my friend Steve Hoffman constantly talks about this BJ concept, BJ Palmer concept of um, accumulative survival value. You know, you have your health checking account and basically, you know, the goal of being healthy is to put more into the account than you debit out of it. And right now people are debiting a ton because of all their stress that they're under and chiropractic by its nature deposits into your health savings account. So, um, yeah, I mean, now more than ever, it's just absolutely vital and important. I think the word that came out when all this COVID lockdown, you know, started was the word essential, right? What's essential, what's non-essential. And I think there was a lot of interesting conversations, especially within our profession, but just collectively and, in society, you know, who's essential and who's not essential. And, and I, I think the people who sat back and realized that their care in times of crises becomes more essential are noticing that, that their practices grow, you know, and their practices grow in times of crises because that stress on that nervous system needs to be, it needs to go somewhere, right? It needs, it's either going to create what they called in those old textbooks, destructive survival value, which continually creates problems of, you know, malfunction and, and disease patterns in your body, or it creates that constructive survival value if you do something about it, right? If you help the nervous system either integrate it, release it, or just, you know, like you said, like clean the plumbing out, remove it. Like yeah. let's get the nervous system to communicate. Yeah. Dan, you're, you're talking a lot around it, and I'd love for you to just verbalize it maybe more directly. What, what's the big purpose? You know, what's the big purpose that drives you? I'd love to hear that. Well, I do a core values assessment every single year to determine, you know, what is important to me. I have core values for my practice, but my core values for my practice and my personal life are two completely different things. At the top of my core values uh, is family without a shadow of a doubt. You know, everything that we do um, personal life, professional life, whatever is, is for family, which means that we have to make sure that our family and our personal well-being is whole before we do anything else. Right. I mean, the hardest part about being a chiropractor, especially right now is that we teach our patients to be healthy. We put our patient's health above our own. And so right now we're seeing a lot of patients, uh, sorry, not a lot of patients, a lot of chiropractors burning out their health is suffering. Right. And I'm guilty of this too. Right. The past four months has been absolutely insane. I mean, not just for the practice, we've grown like crazy, but beyond that, we've had so many patients that have so many health problems. It's almost impossible for us to not internalize all that stuff and bring it home with us. And so we have to take extra steps to protect ourselves and insulate ourselves to make sure that we're well taken care of and make sure that we don't bring it back to our families. Um, you know, obviously making an impact in our community and taking care of lots of people, you know, is in our mission statement for our practice. I mean, I think at the end of the day, and this goes back to our time with Mike Flynn, you know, one of our, our most prominent mentors in our life in chiropractic is that to leave a lasting legacy. You know, I mean, we want, I want to be remembered for somebody who made a difference. Um, and I think right now, more than anything, chiropractors need to be standing up. And I really want to lead that by example. I want to show, you know, not just our local community, but the global community and the chiropractic community that there's something to be done, right? That we can't just sit on our butts and wait for, you know, the government to kind of bail us out. Like we need to be proactive. We need to help people because they, they're not going to get it anywhere else. Like, you know, Stan, I got to talk about this. I, I hate talking about COVID because I feel like we're kind of, we're, we're just, we're 
we're, we're talking about one thing in like a grand scheme, but it's so vital and so omnipresent right now that it's almost like we can't ignore it. The fact is, you know, this is like a defining time for us. Yeah. It's a defining time, not just for chiropractors, but for everybody. And how we react to COVID is going to echo an eternity. I mean, it's, it's the defining act of our generation. I have no doubt in my mind. Um, I would rather be that guy who acts than, uh, than waits. You know, I'd rather be proactive than reactive when this come, when this happens, because, you know, if anything has been taught to me over the past four months is that people's lives are at risk. And I'm not talking about getting sick. I'm talking about people's lives are at risk because of all the crazy stress and drama and, and just emotional trauma that they've had to sustain over the past four months. Right. And considering the fact that it's not going to, you know, get better anytime soon, you know, we as chiropractors, we owe it to our communities. We owe it to the world to stand up and do something about it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be that guy. And I know you are that guy too. I was listening to a, a high wire with Del big tree the other day and he had a, he had an economy, he had a, what was he, a political economist on, and he had interviewed him four months ago, and they were talking, he was basically kind of proselytizing what he believed what would happen as a result of the lockdown, and he said back then that, you know, every 1% of unemployment that goes up in five years, 36,000 people die from unemployment, the, the effects of unemployment, and it's, it's crazy to think that, like, that the cure or the solution or whatever it is could have this effect on us that what you're saying will echo also into eternity are the effects of the lockdown, right? Like I had a good buddy, a West Point graduate, um, his son ended his own life at 12 years old, Ugh. you know, and I was watching, you know, all of his videos because I had to get that into my into my DNA, into my soul, that, that, that it's not just about one uni, you know, one virus. It's not a binocular or monocular view at one particular virus. The virus and the effect of what we do is going to echo throughout society in so many different ways. We know that suicides are up. We know drug abuse and alcohol abuse are up. We, we know, I just, I just saw something the other day that said the, the opioid crisis is, is back and amplified and all of as a result of where we are at today, right? And, 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 and I believe you, I 100% agree with you when you say that this is a defining moment for who we are as a profession, but also as a society, you know, in that are we going to actually just let a lot of this happen and let, you know, kind of hunker down in our homes and just wait for it to pass? What is going to be the earth that we come back to, you know? Yeah. They're, they're saying it in front of us. They're redefining normal. They're calling yeah. it the new normal. Yeah. And they're having kids go back to school where they're like in a district here in San Diego, I saw um, one of the guidelines that came out. One was they're already talking about a COVID-19 vaccine being mandatory, even though it's not even in existence yet, right? They're already talking about that. And two, they're talking about something so simple as when a child falls how they will comfort and how they won't comfort, meaning they won't actually even touch or hold the child anymore in some respects. Yeah. Like the level of the, 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 the reverberation of where we are at today is dramatic.
Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you bring up the, the concept of a, of a compulsory vaccine because you and I both watched the um, Alan Dershowitz RFK Jr. debate, which I thought was stupendous. I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, I, I, I got to give him credit. Alan Dershowitz actually did a, did a very good job um, as the sort of opposing side of the whole vaccine debate. But every single time RFK talks, like I'm just slack job because the guy just brings it. Yeah. Um, you know, he talked about this idea of a compulsory vaccine and, you know, RFK is an anti-vaccine. He makes it very clear that he's not anti-vaccine. What he wants to see is accountability in the vaccine industry. Transparency. Transparency. That's right. And, you know, I think when it comes to COVID, the scariest possible thing to me is unleashing 2 billion doses of a vaccine that has not been tested effectively, right? We've already done it before. We've done it with Tuskegee right? In small doses, right? We've done it with a lot of the other vaccines that are available right now. DTaP, MMR have not been tested against inert placebos, right? We, you and I both see vaccine injuries regularly in our practices. So they are not uncommon, like people are meant to believe. Um, it's absolutely frightening, you know? And I got to be honest with you, man, like I'm more than anybody. I mean, maybe not more than anybody, just like everybody. I just want to get back to the way that things were, man, because like this thing is stressing me out. Like coming from a background with mental health issues, like there's nothing scarier to me than being in like lockdown for another year, you know, looking at the way that's affecting our kiddo. I'm looking at the way that it's affecting Brit. It sucks. That being said, I would lock myself down for another year, two years, however long it takes, then take a vaccine compulsorily that I know hasn't been tested effectively. So it just, it puts us in a really weird position and chiropractors are funny, man, because those of us who practice like you and I do tend to be pretty vocal about vaccinations. Um, but it's because it's congruent with the type of care we deliver, you know, I mean, health comes from the inside out, not the opposite way around. How can we possibly condone a full tilt COVID vaccine, especially when we know it's not safe, you know? It's, it, it takes us back to the earlier part of our conversation about informed consent. Like I always tell my patients, like, they're like, are you anti-vaccine? It's like, no, I'm not anti-vaccine per se, but I am absolutely about giving you informed consent. And that first principle is that first bridge we have to cross is, is it safe? And when zero, it's not just DTaP and MMR, it's zero vaccines have ever been tested against an inert placebo and when we realize that 16 vaccines, 72 doses are given to kids, it's not how it was even when we were kids, right? Yep. And for me, I take it personally because I was in the army. I was in the army, I deployed to Iraq. I got five out of six anthrax shots. I got a smallpox shot. And one of the things that changed the trajectory of my thinking in a lot of this is when my brother introduced me to the concept of vaccine just problems. You know, he gave me these old books when I got out of the army and I started to read through a lot of them. And one of them led me to a book called Vaccine A, which is about the anthrax program. And it's crazy to think that the entire anthrax program was completely experimental, right? Like they were experimenting with squalene, a known adjuvant, a known irritant. And you don't realize that I was asked recently in a podcast, like, what do I believe that what percentage of my patients are actually vaccine injured? And I was like, you have to define injury. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, you, like not every child down spirals into nonverbal low functioning autism, right? We which is, that. which is ironic that you bring that up, Stan, because that isn't even considered a vaccine injury. If you think it's about not it, right? Right, now, right? right. It's not. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're bringing up a lot, a a lot of things that I think we need to address. I mean, first and foremost, going back to the idea of an inert placebo, right. Um, Just for your listeners to understand, right. Inert placebo basically means like saline, right. Um, In the past, uh, vaccines have been tested against adjuvants like aluminum. Um, They've been tested. I mean, and they're talking in the Oxford vaccine, this COVID vaccine, they're talking about um, testing it against the meningitis vaccine. Right. I mean, if, if they're both known to cause injury, then how could we possibly look at harms data accurately? There's no freaking way. There's no freaking way. So for those of you guys who are listening, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? And then you consider the fact that we have parents who are coming in who know that their children have changed after vaccines. We owe it to them as providers to hear them, right? We owe it to, their, to, to them as their doctors to hear them, to listen to them, to understand that things are changing and moms tend to know better than anyone what their kids are doing. So yeah, I agree. I'm not anti-vaccine by any stretch of the imagination. I was vaccinated as a kid. However, I agree as a scientist and public health advocate first that we should be obeying the rules for all medical interventions, whether it's a biologic or not. The, um, I'd love to shift gears a little bit. Okay. You know, getting a little dark. <laughs> Dan, you, you talked, we've talked about so many things. We've talked about things like cause and effect. We've talked about inside out healing. We've talked about transparency in our healthcare system, industry, government relationships. We've talked about informed consent and safety. We've talked about miracles. Actually, we haven't talked about miracles. I'd love to take us into that direction in that going back to what I see you as, is probably my, the greatest example for me is that when I have a challenging case or when I have a question about something, I turn to you 99% of the time because of the complexity of the cases that you see, I'd love you. I'd love for you to hear. I'd love to hear from you. Um, just some of those miracles, some of those challenging cases that have healed and transformed as a result of the care that you provide. Shoot. I mean, every chiropractic case is a miracle, man, because it just, uh, it, it, it makes it, chiropractic care is about expressing life. Yeah. Pure and simple whether it's a kid who can't sleep because they're constipated or gassy or bloated or colicky or whatever to a child who's nonverbal has no eye contact and starts to improve as a result of chiropractic care. As far as I'm concerned, it's all, it's all gravy. Um, you know, I, this last month has been insane. I've, I've seen more colic cases in the past like six weeks, I think than I've ever seen in my entire career all at once. And they all have the same manifestation clinically. Um, basically the same scans, lots of counter rotation in the upper cervical spine, um, birth trauma, mom and dad are both emotionally stressed. Um, and I mean, more than anything, like if a baby's not sleeping, mom and dad aren't sleeping, which means their mental health starts to tank. And right now that stress bucket is already overflowing. So any additional stress just makes things worse. Um, chiropractic care when it comes to things like colic is super freaking simple, right? I love these care plans because they're so easy, right? I mean, they're eight week care plans. That's it. You know, you know, six, eight weeks and everything is done. Just fantastic. I mean, I actually wrote the shortest care plan I think I've ever written in my entire career a couple weeks ago is a four or four week care plan for a 10 day old with a gigantic uh, cephalohematoma, which you, which you saw a picture of. Um, Her head's totally normal now. 
right? It's beautiful. It, it took like, it took seven days <laughs> and it was, it was back to completely normal. She went to go see her midwife uh, a couple of days ago and the midwife was floored because even without chiropractic care, we're talking six, eight weeks for this thing to resolve. Um, but those are, those are all miraculous cases. Uh, I was talking to Andrew Cameron about a case that I've been taking care of now for about four or five months, which is just an absolutely insane case. I mean, this kid is going to be diagnosed autistic if, uh, you know, if things don't change, you know, her, um, his, his pediatric neurologist basically told mom that, you know, that's life and there's nothing you can do about it and just deal with it and prepare blah, blah, blah. You know, so mom comes to me because he's not sleeping. He's banging his head. Um, He's got gastrointestinal upset. He, I mean, he's a perfect stormer by every definition of the word. Um, he also has an essential tremor, which looks a lot like a moral response. Like you lay, lie him back or put him into sort of a perturbed position and he shakes. Um, so yeah, we're about four or five months deep in this care and you wouldn't even recognize this kid by looking at him now. I mean, sleeping like a champ, walking, you know, he's, he just turned one, um, all of his motor skills look good. His fine motor looks fantastic. Uh, his head control is fantastic. Uh, still a little bit of an essential trauma, but I mean, it's decreased by like 90%, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's really, really cool to see, you know, and honestly with this case, I think this is advice for your parents too, who are listening. This case took a while for us to get under control. It wasn't instant, you know, I mean, it took about a month for me to really get him dialed in. Mom hadn't even signed on to a care plan for the first month because she just wanted to see how it went. Yeah. So, I mean, we got to the first month, scan started looking normal again. I'm like, game on, man. Let's, let's, let's commit to this, you know, because we've still got a lot of road to travel, but you know, we've made a huge dent in this thing from the very beginning. Um, you know, Andy and I were talking about this too, about how chiropractic care is a process. And I think that's really important for people to recognize um, the reason that we create big care plans because there's no such thing as instant gratification in chiropractic because we're undoing habit. Remember habit that is chronic and chronicity means that something has been with you for a long, long time. When something is habitual, the nervous system plasticizes around it and undoing all of that means intensity, specificity, repetition. and repetition. That's right. Um, so yeah, those, those cases are, are really crazy. You know, I've seen a ton of sensory processing cases over the past year and these kids have just been excelling left and right. Um, typical sensory processing symptoms are things like you can't wear tight clothing. Um, I have a lot of oral sensitivity uh, kids who have a hard time with loud sounds, um, which is interesting because we have to modify the way we adjust them. We can't use pediatric headpieces cause they just don't, they don't res respond to it well. Um, I've had a handful of children on the autism spectrum in the last couple of weeks who are just excelling. I mean, autism is one of those things where you think that it's a lot more complicated than sensory processing issues and they're all kind of cut from the same cloth, but man, my autism kids are kicking butt right now. Um, man, I have one kid in particular. It's so funny. Mom brings him in. He's an eight year old. He's overweight. He's diagnosed with autism. And mom didn't even bring him in because he's on the spectrum. I mean, brought him in because he has back pain, right? And first of all, eight-year-old back pain is not okay. You, right. you should not have back pain if you're young like that. You should yeah. have back pain, period. But when you're a young kid, back pain is totally unacceptable. So we start adjusting um, to correct those subluxation patterns, and we immediately see cognitive improvements. Mom's like, whoa, you know, I saw your webinar, but I had no idea. I'm like, yeah, that's just a side effect. You know, that's the nature of the beast. So, yeah. So for all you parents who are listening, I mean, that's what chiropractic care looks like. I mean, in our offices, especially, you know, Stan sees the same exact cases that I do. It's, 
it's not about a matter of how complicated or how easy they are. I mean, they all basically have the same underlying theme, you know, and that subluxation is devastating. And when you remove it, nervous system works better. So. And tell me a little bit, because because chiropractors, if you read through a lot of our old textbooks, like very, you know, from the early 1900s, they talked about things like a chiropractic utopia. I talked about this in my introductory um, episode, but they talked about the jails clearing and the insane asylums, which they had at the time, you know, clearing as well, because the nervous systems were starting to heal. You have a unique, I, I didn't tell you that we were going to talk about this, but I don't know why it, you, what you just said made me, you know, want to ask you this, but you have spent some time with other chiropractors where you go to St. Quentin for like a day or a couple days, right? Yeah. 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 Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's all Ian Davis Tremaine, um, yeah. my good buddy who practices in Marin. Um, he actually didn't start the program. It started, started by, um, uh, oh, darn. You're putting me on the spot. I can't remember. Anyway, a guy is a faculty at Life West. Really great guy. Um, anyway, um, I've been going for about five years. Uh, program's been going for 15. Um, obviously, we're not going this year because of COVID, and San Quentin's a hot spot for COVID. But um, we go one day out of the year. And um, I think on our busiest day, we adjusted 1,200 inmates. Oh. And, um, God, it was crazy. I mean, I'm doing knee chest work up there. So I maybe adjusted 200 atlases. It was, it was a really, it was a heavy day. But the reason we go is because the guards consistently year after year after year tell us that it's the most peaceful day on the yard. You know, there's no violence. Um, there's no upheaval. Um, we see folks who are hardened criminals who melt like babies on the chiropractic table, right? I, I mean, the first year that I went, Ian and I both overheard um, a particular inmate got his atlas adjusted. First time he's ever been adjusted his entire life. And he said, man, if I'd had that when I was younger, I wouldn't be here right now, you know? And that was life altering for us, you know? I mean, to be fair, San Quentin is not a safe place. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens. It's risky for us to go in every single year. But, um, you know, the benefits outweigh the risks without a shadow of a doubt. It certainly puts things in perspective. The first time I went to San Quentin, it really opened my eyes as to what chiropractic is capable of. Um, you know, and I never take it for granted. Not anymore. That's for sure. Because I, I want this to, you know, my, my next question is one of my favorite ones. And I want both of those concepts to theme your answer in that, you know, when we find these kids sometimes on the day of their birth having these chronic neurological habits running their system with so much interference and so much disturbance and so much fuzz and that connection. They can't self-regulate. They can't self-heal. They can't self-adapt to anything in their world. And that eventually down spirals into some sort of what we know today is the 54% of kids that have chronic illness, but the one in six that have neurodevelopmental disorders and the one in four that require special ed in school. And then on the polar opposite end is you've been in a place where we see that decades later, the effects of a lot of these different challenges are, 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 are essentially, you know, in the most chronic and, and severe cases, potentially in St. Quentin. You know, and you've spent a moment in there where you have hardened criminal, criminals say, like, if I had that adjustment, if I had this experience, I wouldn't be where I am today. 
I want to know if you can future pace your purpose for me. What does the world look like when you are successful in what you're currently doing? Well, listen, I mean, let me preface by uh, what I'm going to say by saying this, you know, chiropractic care, we talk about the concept of disease, right? Dis-ease literally means life isn't easy. Everything is adapting poorly. Health is suffering. The opposite of disease is ease. Literally means life is easy, body's adapting correctly. Ease is what we're looking for here, right? You know, the International Chiropractic Pediatrics Association puts a, a, a huge amount of budgetary money towards quality of life research in chiropractic pediatrics. And time and again, research has come back and shown that quality of life, we, we use the term quality, which is a specific outcome measure in research, qualities improve by huge margins under chiropractic care, right? We recognize that chiropractic care is one of those things. It's an essential, you know, part of improving quality of life for a lot of people, for everybody. Um, my time in San Quentin has definitely taught me that quality of life is probably the most important outcome measure that we can, we can keep an eye on in chiropractic. Um, but it translates across every single human being that we see, whether they're a convict or not. Um, you know, like I, like I talked about before, you know, these easy cases, these constipation and colic cases, right? If that improves quality of life for this kiddo or if it improves quality of life for the parents so they can sleep better, then game on, man. That's, that's what we're creating in the future. We're creating more ease, right? A less stressed generation, a kid's generation who's going to have a higher life expectancy than ours, right? Because right now, the way things are going, that's not the way it's going to happen, you know? You know, removing chronic illness, multi-generational chronic illness mm. right epigenetic changes right i mean chiropractic care is all about that um you know it's so funny man because like it's it's really really easy for us to minimize chiropractic care as just an adjustment you know i mean even in my practice my new patients are like you know is that it right because typically an adjustment takes one or two moves and that's it but these are minimizing words that completely underestimate the importance of that one adjustment. Because if all it takes is one adjustment to the Atlas or one adjustment to T6 or one adjustment to the sacrum to clear neurological interference so that the body can actually do what it's mandated to do, which is keep you healthy, who cares? You know, who cares what it is, right? I mean, I'll even say like, you and I have talked about this before. I, I, I don't have any specific loyalty to chiropractic per se, but I do have loyalty to vitalism. Um, chiropractic care is just the best tool I have at my disposal to help people stay vital, right? Um, but I don't care if chiropractic is placebo. I don't care if my patients just need a hug when they come in. If that means that that's what it takes to clear out all that gain in their axis, by all means, that's the way that's, that's the end goal in mind, right? That's what we're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, and like I said, I can't really minimize chiropractic care because chiropractic care is the best way to do that. It's the real, the, the, the most efficient way I know to restore normal neurological function. But if I learn tomorrow that chiropractic care is BS or it's placebo, but my patients still continue to get well based on what I'm doing, then I, I don't care, you know? That's what matters. You know, we talk about that word placebo and we could even minimize that or marginalize placebo. And I tell my patients all the time, especially those that work at Qualcomm are super like empirical and super database. 
And I, said, I, I basically just tell them straight up, I want placebo on my side every time. And if that means I need to give you a hug, if that means that I need to communicate in a way that helps you feel empowered, if that means that um, I absolutely like help you have sovereignty in your choices as a parent, as a new parent, like those are all things that drive a, a connection in the body that is so absolutely essential and missing yeah. today. Like you were talking about the patriarchal dictatorial system. Yeah. And, on, and on a funny note, or maybe just a ironic note, I don't know if you remember this from chiropractic school when we could not debate uh, vaccines in our community health. You remember that? Like they yeah, said, I, do. you couldn't. I don't know yeah. if you remember me doing this. I, it's, I call it the five second rule where when I want to look something up, and I want to make it like peer reviewed, like I can usually find it that day. Um, I can't remember who our instructor was when they said we couldn't study or we couldn't debate. I looked up CDC vaccine ingredients and the second um, choice is still the second choice. It's a PDF of all the excipients. And I asked a bunch of us like, would you actually even eat this? Like, would you even want to look at like, like we were just going into anatomy class and 28 vaccines have formaldehyde, right? And so I did this the other day because I was just, I was just ruminating an idea, right? Because we're not allowed to touch. We're, we're going to live in a world where we can't shake hands anymore. We're never going to see facial expressions, which makes me so worried about kids because the expression and their vagus nerve uh, normalcy and balance is based upon them being able to connect because they can't speak yet to somebody in another human space and eye contact. However, I looked up the immune properties of hugs. And I wrote, I, wrote in, I Googled immune properties of hugs and I put PubMed, right? <laughs> like, the second thing was a study. And they showed, you know, which I've asked every patient since I've looked it up, do you think there are immune benefits that every single one says yes? Even the people who are questionable on whether or not we should be locked down and whatnot, not the people that have been with me for years, they know unequivocally that hugs are essential to human function and human, um, human experience. But guess who funded that study? So NCAM was one, right? The complementary alternative uh, arm of NIH. <laughs> Additional grants from NIAID, the <laughs> National Infectious Allergic Diseases Department, <laughs> which is Tony Fauci's group, right? Yeah. It's so crazy to me that those things pop into my world because there's probably a significant budget of understanding that not only is social distancing potentially bad for us, you know, yeah. from an immunological perspective, but that hugs and human contact that create in us a barrage of amazingness in terms of immune, from your immune system, your endocrine system, oxytocin, your nervous system, falling into parasympathetics and actually engaging that vagal response, which Stephen Porges talks about as that, that polyvagal theory and how we actually become more um, attuned to who we are socially. Yeah. Like, I think I'm so grateful for your answer, man. I mean, at the end of the day, what we do, I mean, and this is probably a good way to kind of summarize the whole podcast episode, the, the, the chiropractic care in a nutshell is about connection. All right. I mean, if the end game is ease, there's no better way than human connection, which is why chiropractic care has been founded on touch since the very beginning. I mean, even BJ in my research, um, he, he shooed instrument-based adjusting because he felt that it was impossible for us to determine tonal differences through an instrument. 
right? Right through an integrator. <laughs> yeah, I mean, integrators weren't around back then, but like, I mean, listen, I'm guilty too. I, I, I like using instruments from time to time in the way that I adjust, but I always, always, always assess tone before doing it, right? And some of my patients can't tolerate manual adjustments. That's fine, but the touch component of it always, always, always comes first. And I think honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, that's probably a huge contributor to why our practices are splitting right now because no one else is going to touch our patients, especially not right now. They're so friggin' scared to death, right? And you're talking about nonverbal cues and all that stuff. That's so detrimental to the way that we take care of our kids because they can't read them, right? Our babies, they can't see our smiles. They can't, they can barely see our eyes. So we have to modify um, to the best of our ability so that these kids do get that connection that they're looking for. So our adults do get that connection that they're looking for. Right. I mean, obviously we have to behave according to the public health department, but at the end of the day, like this is why chiropractic care is essential right now. Not because we're keeping people out of the ER because we touch our patients. Right. There it is. Dan, of all the things that we've talked about so far, if you could, um, if you could leave our guests with one thing that they can put into the universe, one choice that they can make that will echo, you know, in that way, uh, in their lives, in their community, throughout, you know, their whole region, like, what would that one thing be? Yeah, that's easy. Um, you know, this is a conversation that I've been having with Britt and with Fernie, my daughter, uh, for, you know, as long as, God, I've known them, you know, not just because of COVID. I mean, things have definitely become amplified because of COVID, mm -hmm. but you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. You know, it is vitally, vitally, vitally important if you're a parent and you're listening to this, that you take care of yourself first because you cannot care for other people that you love if you cannot care, care for yourself. Um, I was talking to Andy on this past episode of the podcast about a patient that I just signed to care yesterday as a mom. She's got a 14 year old an eight year old and a two year old. And when we ran our consult, we were doing all our consults virtually. You know, I asked her, like I ask all my new patients, you know, what if you and I were going to work together and you were going to get everything that you wanted out of our time together, you know, what did that look like for you? You know, how would that change your life? Mm. Uh, she's like, you know what? I just, I just want to be well for my kids. Right. I want to start exercising again. I just want to be a good example so that they, you know, know that, you know, they can be healthy and they can be, they can be happy, you know? And I'm like, you know, good for you. Right. Most of the moms that come into my practice bring their kids first because they feel like they need to put their kids before themselves. And the fact remains, that's very important. But at the end of the day, if you're sick at home while your kids are thriving, who does that serve? So put yourself first. It's okay to be selfish. Once you're well and you're whole, you'll be able to provide for your family, for your kids, for the people that you love that much more. I love that, Dan. It's what it, 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 it is as simple as putting your, you know, your oxygen mask on first. However, I think the, one of our uh, sleep consultants for our daughter, she, she basically taught us like in a different lens, like how important it is to be that example. Right. So that when our daughter looks at us and sees that we're making those steps to make sure that when we are whole people, then we serve her, our daughter, as whole parents. That's such a huge factor that I don't think a lot of parents get, you know, as far as advice today. And a lot of times it's maybe even poo-pooed as selfish. And one of our mentors, Dr. David Jackson, would always say that's self-full. 
You know, it's so full. It's making yourself whole. It's making yourself full of life so that you can actually do the things that you're meant to on this planet. Dan, I think we've covered so many grounds and I am, I can't even wait uh, until our listeners get to actually hear this. I'd love for you to, to share with us how everyone can connect with you, whether it's the podcast or your practice. Um, let us know how they can stay connected. Yeah. Uh, best way to just stay in contact is uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Facebook at the Beacon Clinic of Chiropractic in Grover Beach, California. Instagram is dr underscore Bronstein. Um, you can uh, call your off- our office if you're on the Central Coast or somewhere in California. It's 805-481-1566. And I mean, I know this rings true to Stan, but if you're not even in our area and you need a referral, um, Stan and I have a vast network of chiropractors that we keep really close to us that uh, I'm sure would be able to help you and your kiddos. So call our office and you know, I'll be happy to give you a referral. Our KiddoCast, <laughs> sorry, our podcast is called The KiddoCast uh, for Chiropractic Families. It's available on iTunes and Android and all the places that you get your podcast. We're on our season uh, three right now. We're frantically recording um, some really amazing, amazing interviews, including this one. Um, so I encourage you guys to go back uh, and, and take a listen to our back catalog. And um, yeah, thank you, Stan. Thank you so much for, for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, I was thinking about that when you invited me to do another interview. It was like, man, I don't know. I've, I've, I've obviously I'm an avid listener of yours, and I don't think anybody's actually interviewed you. So I'm, I'm so grateful that I get to repurpose this, you know, not just for our listeners, but also that you your people can actually hear, you know, from the horse's mouth, like what, what's behind the kiddo cast, man. You are one of the, uh, just talking about family and this is maybe going to expose you a little bit, but I knew we were going to be friends for life when I heard you first talk to your grandma. Like you are so smart. You are so intellectual. You are so driven, but your voice when you talk to your grandma is so freaking sweet, man. And that level of authenticity is something that I know uh, you bring on a day-to-day basis with your, you know, not only your practice and your patients and everybody in your world to your family, but also to everybody on your podcast. So um, for what it's worth, I'm grateful for this opportunity. And thanks again, man. I really appreciate your time and love. My pleasure, man. Love you too, buddy. 